This is the Cubicle Renegade Podcast session number 17. Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, where unfulfilled desk jockeys become fearless entrepreneurs. Learn from corporate escapees and world changers who are successfully building businesses that matter. Here's your host, Caleb Wojcik. Hey everyone, this is Caleb. Thanks again for joining me on another session here. Today we have Thomas Frank, who's the founder of collegeinfogeek.com. I came across Thomas because he's in Fizzle.co, our online business training platform. And he has a pretty interesting story because he paid off all of his college debt before he even graduated. And he since graduated college, you know, about a week ago. But when I recorded this, he was leading up to graduation and he had already paid off over fifteen dollars or $16,000 in debt just for making money on the internet. And he did this by creating a step-by-step walkthrough on how to build a personal branded website. And after putting that walkthrough together, he put affiliate links in there for hosting online, and he was able to pay off his debt just from that single post. So we go into that, we go into how to maximize your time in college, and the importance of building up a blog online. So let's dive right in. Thomas Frank is the founder of collegeinfogeek.com, is about to graduate from Ohio State University, and from what I've seen on YouTube, is a pretty good dancer at Dance Dance Revolution. So (laughs) thanks for joining me today, Thomas. Thanks for having me on the show, Caleb. And yeah, I think I'm pretty good at DDR. (laughs) (laughs) So so for people that don't know your background, um, what do you do right now? Uh, Right now, I'm a student at Iowa State University. I'm majoring in MIS, which is uh, basically a combination of computer science and business, pretty much an IT major. But what I mainly do is run College Info Geek, and I try to help other students learn how to promote themselves, build personal brands, get out of debt, and just basically learn more in their education. So on your site, you talk about everything from like how to, like you said, personal branding. So beyond like the resume, like that kind of thing, like being online and building a blog and things like that. Mm-hmm. Building a blog, building an online presence, learning how to network and build relationships the right way and essentially get their skills and their passions um, developed to the point where they can promote it and provide value to an employer. And so how long have you been running College Info Geek? Um, ever since June 2010, so we're coming up on three years here, which is quite a bit longer than I ever thought it would run when I started it, but yeah. And how long did it take you to get to the point where you felt like you knew what the purpose of the site was? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good question, and a reader actually emailed me asking me that same question the other day because he's starting his own blog. For me, it's been a constant evolution. I don't think there's been any one moment where I said, okay, this is exactly what the site's going to be going forward and then stuck to that. Um, when I started, I was you know, really, really into my MIS major and I wanted to be a sysadmin when I graduated. So I thought it would be more tech stuff and more you know, pointed towards computer science and engineering students. And eventually it morphed. I took on writers. I got rid of writers, all kinds of different changes. But I think the big moment where I decided to sit down and really solidify what my what my brand was going to be about was um, back in February I was flying to Austin and I finished reading a book on student debt and I was learning about just how bad the student debt crisis was and you know how many students are in trouble and how long it really takes to pay this stuff off. What book was so, that? It's called Debt Free You by Zach Bissonette and anybody who has kids who are going into college or is going into college I highly recommend reading that book. It was just mind-blowing how uh, how much we don't think about the impact student debt has on us. Um, so when I got off the plane, I was just 
first thing I did was like call my brother and I said, do not take the $50,000 loan, please, whatever you do. And luckily he listened to me. I was so happy because he had been adamant about going to this college and I finally was able to cite enough statistics to get through to him. But I also sat down and I finally read out what I was going to like mold my site into going forward because it really had just been kind of a smorgasbord of topics and I didn't really have any single focus other than it's for college students. Mm -hmm. And now after that, I was like, okay, I want to do personal branding. I want to do education and learning, you know, hacking your studying and that kind of thing. And I also want to do getting out of debt because mm -hmm. that was my personal goal. And after reading into how bad of a situation it is for all the students in this country, it's my goal to help everyone else with it now too. Yeah, and I think that's something that people worry about in the first six to 12 months of blogging is knowing exactly what they're going to write about, how they're going to be different, how they're going to start earning money. And it sounds like you were a couple of years in almost, at least a year and a half or so, before you really knew what it is you wanted to be doing. You kind of dabbled in, you know, life hacking for college, would you say? Exactly. For a while, and then you kind of honed in on what it is you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if we get into the story of how the blog started, I can tell you kind of how that evolved. But yeah, it really was kind of like life hacking for college at first, and it was so general. And now it's it's focused a little bit more now. And so why did you start blogging originally? So when I was a freshman, um, I came into college, and I guess I'll give you some backstory about pre-college. I come from a family where my dad had been laid off from several jobs um, all throughout high school, and each time it wasn't his fault. It was either company politics or the company going under, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But there were these periods of time where it would be six months where he would be unemployed and we'd be freaking out. And my mom would be like, yeah, your dad's sending out 50 resumes a week, all that kind of stuff. And I grew up in that. I was like, I don't want to deal with that at all mm -hmm. when I grow up. So I had this mentality that I need to find a way to make myself indispensable in some way. So when I came into college, it wasn't just go to class. It was try to find every opportunity possible and try to learn how to hack my life. So I found Lifehacker. And by extension, I found a blog called Hack College, which uh, has been around since 2006. So I was reading that all through freshman year. And at the end of freshman year, they put out a call for new writers. And I was like, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to send in my resume. I'm going to become a writer for this site. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be awesome for my resume. So I do it. I spent like six hours up till 2 a.m. writing a guest post for them. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I was convinced it was perfect. It was like way longer than anything they usually had on the site. Sent it in. And a couple of days later, I got my response, opened the email and it's rejection. Mm -hmm. So obviously I was not expecting that, but it happened. So essentially College Info Geek is a revenge story. <laughs> not really, but I had this guest post and I was like, you know, if, if I'm going to get rejected from the site, I'm just going to start my own. And luckily I'd been designing websites since I was a kid. So I knew a little bit about web development and I knew enough to know what WordPress was. So I threw up a WordPress installation, pick a, I picked a random name out of the air and threw up my guest post. And then I just figured I would write a couple times a month and I would have something for my resume and I'd be able to help other students mm -hmm. with whatever I was learning for study hacks, what have you. That was really the start of it. And then it kind of just, like most blogs, stayed really, really small for almost a year until uh, after sophomore year, I got this idea to build a hanging desk that would hang below my loft bed off chains instead mm -hmm. of being on the floor. So it would have no floor space taken up. And I built it in a night. It was like the most janky thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have like, 
a big enough drill bit to drill for the chains to fit through. So I like drilled a bunch of holes and like pounded them out. And then like moved the drill in a circle to like make yeah. the hole bigger. Yeah. Yep. It was super janky, but uh, <laughs> I took pictures of it. I threw up a blog post just because I thought it was fun. And the next day, Lifehacker picked it up and just whew, traffic shot up. And after that, it was like, okay, now I have a legit blog and I have to treat it kind of like a job. Mm -hmm. So from there on, it's been, you know, basically a job, not just a hobby thing I do in my free time. Mm -hmm. And so are there regrets of things that you wish you would have done before that got picked up on Lifehacker? Um, I guess now I didn't really have a regret at the time because I didn't really know much about blogging. Mm -hmm. But I think every professional blogger will tell you their main regret is not doing email, building an email list, mm -hmm. a one. And I'm no different. You know, if I would have been building my email list from there and known how to use it, I probably could be a lot, you know, doing a lot better than I am now. But in terms of regrets, you know, I know that we life is a learning process mm -hmm. and we're going to learn new things and we're going to get better as we go on. So I don't really, really regret it that much. So besides the getting picked up on Lifehacker, what are some of the other big influences for you to start taking your blog seriously? Was it starting to guest post? Was it um, taking courses or training with other people? Was it connecting with other bloggers? What were some of the catalysts for you? Other than the courses, everything you just named um, definitely had an influence. I started doing guest posts. And for me, I wanted to make my blog as good as possible. So I was also researching how to hack WordPress, how to make my design better, all that kind of stuff. So I ended up doing a lot of my guest posts on other blogs about blogging or blogs about WordPress. Um, I became a writer for the WP Toots blog, which incidentally pays, unlike mm -hmm. most. So that was a nice bonus. And then I also just started building relationships with other bloggers. And it's kind of weird because my audience should be students. But it turned out that, you know, I was getting so interested in the blogging and WordPress aspect of it that a lot of the people I met were just kind of other bloggers mm -hmm. and had nothing to do with my niche. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I think. And you do some speaking too. What kind of speaking do you do? Um, so my speaking efforts so far have been pretty limited, but let's see, I think a couple months ago, my school's honors program asked me to come do a session on personal branding. So I put together a talk for that, which was about half an hour. And, you know, the funny thing I learned that night, I figured honors students of all students would know what the term mm -hmm. branding is, but they don't. So I had to kind of edit my talk on the fly to explain what this term even means. And other than that, um, I was I used to be a speech minor, actually. I took my public speaking class, and unlike everyone who hated public speaking, I actually loved it. And I think my, my two speech professors were probably the best professors I've had at Iowa State. I mean, I've had some great professors, but they were the ones that left an impact on me. So I just have kind of committed myself to learning how to speak in public better. So, so let's transition a little bit into um, some some important college topics, one of them being loans and another being scholarships. So first, let's start with scholarships. You've won, is it around $15,000 in scholarships so far? Um, I think it was 15000 but there's also a full tuition one that I won. So if you actually added in the value, it would probably be over 30000 And so what are some of the strategies you used to get those scholarships? Because these can apply for either undergrad or postgrad stuff. Mm -hmm. It applies for people who are in high school, people who are junior high even, all the way up to postgrad, as you said. Initially, I took the shotgun approach. So my guidance counselor said, hey, have you ever been to fastweb.com? 
and I checked it out. It's just this site with listings for scholarships. You make a profile and it narrows it down. I applied for dozens and dozens and dozens. I would spend all my study halls in high school applying for scholarships, and I never won a single scholarship off fast whim. And I think I had a pretty impressive resume even in high school. So mm -hmm. I would say applying for big national scholarships on a website is probably not the best idea because the competition is just massive. And even if you're a star student, you're probably just going to get lost in the static. So for me, it was local scholarships that were the real successful thing. Um, so right when I got to college, I went to the business school and I said, do you guys offer scholarships? And they pointed me to a website. There's a single application. You apply and that puts you in the running for all the scholarships that the business department or at my school, we have the university and they call each department colleges. Mm -hmm. Business college had all these scholarships and you're in the running for all of them. So from that, I was able to win um, the same scholarship twice. And then another one was there was an entrepreneurship scholarship. So having my blog actually ended up winning me $2,000 for uh, $1,000 two years in a row mm -hmm. blogging. I was able to leverage the entrepreneurial experiences through all the networking and the content marketing and they liked it. So and a lot of, of these were just through that one application through the college that you were in. Um, well, that one application got me the first one. And then the entrepreneurial scholarship was a different application. And then the biggest one, my full tuition one is a little bit different because it is a merit scholarship, but it's also a minority based scholarship. So mm -hmm. I don't play it up because it's obviously out of the running for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, my other one was through the company I did my internship with. And it was actually before I even started my internship that I won it. There was a networking um, conference that I went to freshman year. And the story behind that is I was in class. I was on Twitter because I was not interested in what the came out. So scrolling through Twitter and lo and behold, I see the business college advertising this leadership seminar that the principal was putting on. And um, I signed up and I got accepted. So I got to go to Des Moines and I got to spend the night and over in a hotel and going through all these seminars, professional dress, resume building, all that kind of stuff. So it was a great conference other than them getting my name switched around on the hotel reservation and <laughs> a bit of a panic when I couldn't find my name in their system until I thought to switch it around. But anyway, the coolest part of that conference was they hooked you up with a mentor. So my interests were MIS. I was one of the only computery people in the whole conference. So they hooked me up with the VP of IT for the whole company, which was mind blowing. And over the next course of a year, I would meet with him maybe once every month. We got lunch together. We'd talk about things. And through that one relationship, I was able to build multiple relationships in the company. And when it came time to apply for that scholarship and go interview, I already knew half the committee who was mm -hmm. judging. And it was kind of a no-brainer at that point. And so that's completely different than applying to a website where you're just a random name. Like you hustled, you went out there, and your biggest scholarship was because you networked with the people that were in charge with it, not purposely to win a scholarship per se. Yeah, I just wanted to build a relationship, you know? I mean, it wasn't about the internship. I didn't even know about the scholarship at that point. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get out and build a network. And so even with scholarships, you still have student loans. Well, you did. Well, I guess we'll get into that. Um, and I, I graduated with about $17,000 in student loans. And my whole philosophy when I was in college was, oh, I'll just work the rest of my life. I'll pay off loans, you know, 
I'll, I'll deal with that later. So what motivated you to work off to pay off those loans while you were in school? Because I don't think a lot of people care or worry about them. Yeah, and that was that was actually the exact same mindset I had at first. Everyone thinks they're going to college, so they're going to make, you know, gorillions of dollars after they graduate and they're going to be able to easily pay it off. And that's what I thought too, but when you look at the stats, that's really not the case mm -hmm. in a lot of people's uh situations. So my whole journey into doing ridiculous crazy things like paying off all my debt before getting out of school starts with finding Joel Runyon's blog, the blog of impossible things. And mm -hmm. I'm sure blog. Um, he's actually but, the first guest on this podcast. So yeah, Joel's an awesome guy, but he came up with this really cool concept called the impossible list where it's like a bucket list, man, but it's not a bucket list. Cause you <laughs> are like working towards all these goals and it's like evolving and everything, you know? Yeah. So if you know, Joel, that was Thomas's impersonation of him. Yeah. <laughs> a horrible impersonation of Joel. He's got this really deep voice, but um, I took his concept and I ran with it. I put up an impossible list on my own blog, started encouraging people to make their own. And um, I just started coming up with all these, you know, radical goals. I was like, you know, Joel's doing crazy stuff. I can do that too. And the first one that popped into my mind was I've only got $15,000 in loans. Can I pay this off before I graduate? So I put it on there. I didn't really know how I was going to do it. But since I had it on the list, I was now committed to do it. And I was in that mindset where I need to figure out how to pay off 15K before graduating. And it wasn't just like a back burner bucket list goal. It was an active goal. Mm -hmm. So that was really how I got the idea at first. And so how did you end up paying that off? Um, what were kind of the different stages of going through it? So what actually ended up paying it off was my blog. And I'll get into that a little later. But... The original idea was, you know, just get internships, work part-time jobs, and start saving. Um, before my sophomore summer, I guess between sophomore and junior internship, I didn't have a savings account, <laughs> which I suppose for a lot of college students is kind of a typical thing. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. I had a checking account, and I worked a lot through all college, but I also spent a lot. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very good at saving, and I, I just realized I need to start saving. So... I started saving. I did my internship. I made a good amount of money through that. And I had like $7,000 in my savings account. And I figured oh, I can use that to pay off my loans. And I figured I would just do freelance web design to make up the difference, that kind of stuff, and work part-time jobs. Then I got derailed because one of my friends was like, hey, let's go to Japan. And I like anime. I'm a geek. I'm like, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Let's go to Japan. How much could it cost? After that summer, all that $7,000 was gone. Mm -hmm. So I started to get worried. I'm like, I only have a year left. I got to make 15K. I almost went on my list and got rid of the goal. Almost. But I left it there. And then is uh, when the blog started to make money. So for two and a half years, didn't really make that much at all. Maybe not two and a half, two years. Um, but then I wrote this guide called The Ultimate Guide to Building a Personal Website. And I have been wanting to write this guide for about a year because my personal website has gotten me cold calls from interviewers. Um, it's been really impressive in interviews. It's a lot more dynamic than a resume. Mm -hmm. I can pull and they're like, for one, holy crap, you built your own website. Mm -hmm. And for it's a lot less boring looking than a resume and a lot less people have it. So I figured, you know, I want every student to have one of these and it's going to help them out. So I went about trying to write 
just like the ultimate from start to finish guide for people who know nothing. And I did it. I put it out there. People were liking it. And then I discovered that the hosting provider that I had been recommending had an affiliate program. And I had learned about affiliate marketing through Pat Flynn's blog earlier. So I signed up. I put my links in there. And like Pat's blog, I was very upfront in disclosing that I would make money off of it. Mm -hmm. And even though I didn't, like, I was kind of afraid that people would call me a salad or something, but they didn't. I mean, just like Pat, they were like, you're giving away good information. We appreciate it. So here's money. I mean, and that's how it worked out. And then that, that post kind of went huge. And so you'd already had that post active for a few months. Uh, I was about one month. One before. month. Okay. And then, so a lot of, a lot of blog posts, like they're popular when they come out and then no one ever finds them again. How are people finding it and how do you direct people to that post so that it still earns you money? Well, I think the main thing was like Corbett says, write epic shit. It's uh, over 8,000 words long. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely comprehensive. So that was my goal. And then when I put it out there, people were saying, you know, this is the best guide I've ever seen, that kind of stuff. So I think the main factor is it's so comprehensive. And I've seen a lot of other people try to write like website building posts or how to build a blog. And they're really, really vague, really general. Like they just wrote it because they wanted to have a guide in their site, but they didn't really want to put in at the time, mm -hmm. everything. I went through and I made it as comprehensive as possible. But also I would just link to it in guest posts and stuff. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of interlinking on my blog. So, and then another thing, um, with your email list, you have like the email series where you send people personal finance tips. Mm -hmm. And I want to implement, but what I did to get people interested in mine was I built a toolbox of personal branding resources. And in there, there's a checklist. So this is like the checklist for building the foundations of your brand, making an online presence, making resumes, um, getting on social networks, and then building your own website. And in there, I link to my guide. Gotcha. So anyone that signs up for your email list will eventually get back to that. You have made it such an epic resource that people share it when they use it. And then do you get much SEO out of it? Yeah, actually, if you Google how to build a personal website, I'm number one. So that's, I think that's a pretty big factor. But really, it's whoever, anybody who's interested enough to get on my email list, eventually, if they're dedicated enough to building a brand, they're going to find it. So it's kind of like the funnel concept. I have a lot of very diverse con uh, content and only really one way to make money. But eventually, a good enough percentage of people come down to that one article that I'm able to make a living off of it. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about this personal branding a little bit, whether it's a college student, whether it's someone that has a full-time job or they're an entrepreneur. Why is it, why is it important to you? Um, well, having a personal brand is incredibly important because it's essentially your way of communicating your value to the best possible employer. So most students and most people will kind of just shotgun their resume out there and they'll take the first opportunity they can get. And that might work to, to an extent, but it's not the optimal solution. So personal branding is essentially finding the sweet spot, as they call it, which is the intersection of your skills and what you're passionate about and the value you can provide to an employer. Because, I mean, the main, the main mindset is you're providing value to an employer. You're not just showing up at a job and getting money. You actually want to help and create value. So when you have that mindset, a personal brand is so much easier to build. You figure out what that sweet spot is, and then you build a presence online and offline that markets it the most effectively. So it's having consistently branded social networking profiles. It's having an online home base, which is your personal website. And to an extent, I think having a blog really helps it 
because you're putting out content that says I'm an expert in this area. Mm-hmm. So you have pocket changed and that's a personal finance blog. So when I think of, if I want to make a mental list of personal finance experts or people who know a lot and I can go and learn about them, I'm going to think Susie Orman, but I'm also going to think you mm-hmm. and putting out stuff that teaches people. Mm-hmm. So that really helps to solidify your position as an expert and it gets you into other people's heads, which can open doors for you. And then once you have that brand, it's very easy to build relationships and network. Yeah, I was going to say that I think the biggest thing that a brand does is it, it can open those relationships. It shows legitimacy. And you brought up a lot of different things that I wanted to just touch on. Um, you said having social networks that are like congruent, like they have the same photo, if that's what the, it needs to be. They have the same same bios, things like that. You know, it's basic stuff, but a lot of people don't do it. And they don't like fill them out completely. So they may have a LinkedIn profile but it's not filled out to 100% and they don't have people that are, you know, giving them props on the skills they have and giving them recommendations and stuff. And, you know, LinkedIn profiles are a thing that I use to prep for interviews. And I checked out yours and yours is fully, it's, it's like fully complete. And so I think having your social networks all set up and you don't necessarily need to be using them all every day, but just the fact that they're all there. And when someone searches your name on Google, like those things are going to come up. SEO wise, whether you want them to or not. And so you want to make sure that those are set up. And then you also talked about having like a personal site that's not necessarily a blog. That's more just like a live business card or it's like a it's like a resume. So that's something that you have. You have a personal site and you have your blog. So what what makes them different for you? Um, so that's a really good question. And you can come at it from a lot of different angles, because if you look around the internet, there are people who are successful in merging their personal websites with their blogs. And there are people who are successful having a personal website and then having their blog be a separate entity. I'm part of the latter group, but I'm not going discount, to discount the uh, viability of the former. Um, I really think it's whatever your mindset is. So if you want to build a definitive resource on a topic, you can build a blog separate of your personal site, which is what I did. And I've obviously branded it towards myself but it's still separate from me. Whereas, <clears throat> excuse me, Joel Runyon has uh, his blog on his personal domain. Mm-hmm. So from an SEO perspective, if you want to build SEO to your name, that might be a better idea. If you want to build SEO towards a certain keyword, then you can do it where the way I have it, where I have a college blog and then I have a separate personal website. And if you want to build something that you're potentially going to sell or make more of like a team that's involved in it or something like that it makes sense not to have your name in the domain exactly like you can still be personal like someone like pat flynn at smart passive income you know that site couldn't be what it is without him but theoretically since his name isn't in the domain if he eventually wanted to offload or something it'd be easier to do than say like joel something you know and i Honestly, I don't think Pat could ever sell his blog and and have the person who buy it be successful. Right. I've seen way too many blogs that are branded towards a person be sold and come back later and they're just ghost towns. So, and I think Pat knows this. So he is, he's branded the site towards himself and he's essentially saying, you know, come here because I'm going to help you. I'm here for you. I'm pulling for you. And if you need help, I'm going to be there. But that's different from say a, pro blogger or a copy blogger or something that mm-hmm. was originally based off one person, but then that person has gone on to do other things or they're less involved or they 
they bring on other writers and team members to run it. Right. I mean, it loses that personality. But if it was originally just a personal name domain, then people would be quicker to be like, well, this isn't you writing. Why should I follow? Why should I care? It's more about building a brand versus a personal brand. So there's like a, you kind of have to think about those things when you're deciding what to do. And you can always, you know, you can always change them later. Yeah. And honestly, I think if you initially brand it towards yourself, even if you don't have your name of the domain, if you start moving away from yourself, people are going to notice. Like, I mean, to be to be completely honest, I don't really read ProBlogger uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. Because I know it's just a bunch of guest posts. And I mean, I'm sure there's valuable content there, but I think of experts and I want to go to the expert and hear what they have to say. And for blogging, Pat's the expert. So, and I, when I go to his blog, it's going to be straight from him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's content mill from a lot of different people. Yeah. And, you know, you can get value out of that, but having a figurehead to look towards is really, really valuable. So let's change gears again. You've started a podcast recently. What have you learned from launching that? And why would you suggest that maybe a blogger does launch a podcast? Um, so I will give the same exact reason that Pat gives, uh, which is that there's hardly anybody in podcasting and everyone's in blogging. Mm-hmm. There's a lot less competition. There's um, There's also other benefits, I think. So before I launched my first podcast episode, I was really scared of speaking at length. And I can sit down and I can write a huge blog post. In fact, I, I can almost not stop myself from writing a long blog post. <laughs> 1,000 words seems like too short for me now. But when it comes to speaking, if I think about speaking, I get so choked up, I feel like it's going to last only three minutes. Mm-hmm. Like going in with the intent to make a 45-minute episode, I'm like, how am I going to talk for that long without just sitting there, you know, thinking about what to say. So I put together a bullet list of everything I wanted to talk about. I didn't even worry about how long it would be. I just hit record, started talking. And when I finished, it was 45 minutes later. And the moment I hit stop on the record button, my confidence for speaking just shot through the roof because that was just definite proof right there that I could speak at length. And that has increased my ability to speak in public so I'm now able to go give a at length talk instead of just an eight minute or five minute thing. And it also just, I think podcasting just helps you gain confidence in speaking all around because even though you're alone in a room, just talking to a microphone, it's still a little scary in the same way that staring at a camera and talking is a little scary. Mm-hmm. And you're still kind of putting yourself out there and doing something a little more extroverted. Yeah. And I, th- th- I think the hardest thing is you assume that when you're talking, people can hear you right away. And if you can get it, out of your mind that the worst case you can stop it and re-record it um, mm-hmm. or record five episodes and just trash them all because they're not going to be as good as the sixth one. Like if that's what you have to do, that's great. It's just a matter of getting started and practicing, I think. Yeah. And the thing for me, the thing that scares me the most is like being afraid that my friends are going to hear me recording because if something's not done, I don't want anyone to see it until it's like polished and ready to be put out to the public. And I guess it's, it's kind of a weird thing because you think that a blogger would be okay with people seeing their work. But for me, if it's, if it's in the stage that's being produced, I'm like deathly afraid that someone will look over my shoulder or they'll hear me, hear me recording in my room. So I always wait till like everyone's gone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I actually typically do that too. I try to record when my wife's not here or something. Like partially because, you know, sound and where we live get picked up but 
at the same time, it's just like one less thing to be like, okay, are they listening? You know, like that was something that I struggled with when I was first starting. Now I don't care. Like she's here, but you know, um, so how do you, how do you productively make time to do all this stuff? I mean, you're in college, you, you're about to graduate. I'm sure you're super busy already and you're also enjoying college. How do you make time to work on web stuff over the past couple of years? How have you, how have you done that? Are there things you choose not to do? Um, it's, well, it's been a, it's been a long, wild ride of not enough sleep. (laughs) I think these days I'm a lot more focused on what I'm doing and a lot less focused on doing clubs and doing classes. Really my biggest strategy was getting all the required stuff done as soon as possible. So my high school had a program where you could go to college half the day and do dual credit classes. And I jumped on that. So when I came into school, I had all these credits. And now that I'm in my last semester, I have one class a week. And I should have two. There was one other required class I wanted to, I had to take, but I didn't want to take it because it was a night class. So I went to the department head for my college and I was like, hey, man, can I do a independent study where I try to build an iPhone app instead of going to this class? And he thought it was cool enough that he let me do it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like an, just an extra side project. So if you can find ways to tie your required activities into your passions, that's like killing two birds with one stone mm-hmm. and it really helps cut down on your time requirements. And I think like with a traditional resume, um, people expect to see clubs and organizations and leadership roles and things like that. And um, people know that now. So that's they, they like expect to see those things. So it's really hard to stand out at those unless the person's heard of that club or been in it or they see like president or vice president or something like just being a part of a club just mm-hmm. to do it and put on your resume anymore i don't think is really worth it and even then it, even if you're president or vice president i mean wh- how much does that say that says okay i'm good at you know i'm good at getting things done that have you could put in a three ring binder you know mm-hmm. i'm good at processes and it says something about your leadership skills but um, this is a point that Cal Newport just hammers home all the time. I'm not sure if you've read um, So Good They Can't Ignore You, but his biggest idea that he's been spouting for years is that you don't need to necessarily be busy all the time. It's not about how much crap you can fit into your schedule and juggle at one time. It's about being good at, at one thing. And that took me the longest time to learn. You know, first few years of college, I was trying to pack as many clubs and as many organizations and as many, you know, everything into my resume as possible. And I was stressed all the time. I didn't sleep much. And then I started realizing, you know, this stuff looks good in a resume. But if my mindset is going to be that all my value is packed into my resume, it's not going to turn out how I want it to. I need to get good at one thing and become an expert in one thing. That's going to open up a lot more doors. Well, and once I think I- that that applies well beyond college, too. Hmm? I mean, it's it's really hard to focus as an entrepreneur because you're typically a kind of person that has tons of ideas and a lot of skill sets because that's the kind of like motivation you have to just learn how to do something and then just do it because maybe you don't have the money to hire someone to do it or you're interested in learning how to do it. But if you can really focus and get really good at a few things and, you know, build an audience around it, build clients that are willing to pay you high prices for it, like you're going to be more successful than if you just flounder and try to do everything all at once. Mm hmm. And that's not to say that you should only learn one thing. I mean, I think that specialization is for insects, as I think. (laughs) I can't remember who said it, but really, it's good to have a a diverse skill set 
but only if it's stuff you truly care about. If you're just joining business council because you think it'll look in your resume, then you're devoting two hours a week for you know two years of your life for one little line on a resume, and you didn't care about anything you did in that club. Whereas if like you, you're doing videography, you're doing web development, you're doing blogging, podcasting, I'm sure you enjoy all that stuff. And yeah, I do. It's good for you, but it's also really fun for you to do. And that's really cool. So I think it's cool to like learn a bunch of different things, but have it be things you care about. Well, awesome, Thomas. So, so what's next for you? What's next for College Info Geek? And what are your pa- plans for post-graduation? Complete and utter world domination. <laughs> that, I want to eventually write some books. So I recently sat down and I took my three focuses, which are on my about page. And I basically developed a curriculum of every, like all these different posts I want to write under each one. And when I looked at that, I realized, you know, that could, that could be a book for each one right there. So once I get that content developed, I'm going to work on turning it into a book and becoming an author, which would be cool, and then doing speaking. And now that I'm out of college, I can also travel, so you can bet that's going to be happening as well. <laughs> so you're going to continue focus on your site and your stuff online and not mm-hmm. take a traditional job? Yeah, I don't need a job. So actually, I, I honestly couldn't take a job with my contents right now because my goal and my passion right now is helping other students to get out of debt you know, not land themselves in that trap that so many students are in and be able to find the job that reaches their fullest potential. I really want to help people do that. And I couldn't do that if I was sitting at a desk in a cubicle or even at a cool job. You know, I've got to get this message out. So, Well, that's awesome, Thomas. Thanks so much for being on today. And where can people find you online and on iTunes and things like that? Um, collegeinfogeek.com is my blog and if you go to the about the author page I've got everything on there but I'm also Tom Frankly on Twitter so hit me up and I'd love to connect with you awesome well thanks for joining me today Thomas have me on the show dude thanks for listening to the Pocket Changed Cubicle Renegade Podcast at www.pocketchanged.com to read this episode's show notes or check out other sessions head over to cubiclerenegade.com 